What's going on, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the 27th Ball Player Podcast. I'm Nick, and in today's episode, I figured we'll do a little pre-opening day predictions and look at how the offseason shaped up. As a small introduction, I'm a 27-year-old school teacher who teaches history and just has an obsession with the Red Sox. Trying a podcast was something I've always wanted to try, but never gave it a shot out of worry that it would go awful. Fun little fact, off to the side, first time I recorded this, it actually did not record, so this is take two. However, finally, after getting a chance to travel to a spring training this year, I decided to take that chance of creating a podcast. Some of the stuff that actually happened during my time in Florida, uh, I'll talk about it either in this one or just overall across different podcast episodes, uh, along with today as to why I feel this team is a lot better than people think. So, looking over the offseason from the beginning of it, it didn't really go over how a lot of us had wanted, you know, with the big thing of Xander Bogarts heading for San Diego and getting to team up with Manny Machado, Juan Soto, and Fernando Tatis Jr. That was kind of a tough blow to the gut for me. Uh, I had watched Xander from the moment he first came up to Boston in 2013, got to watch him in the playoffs and see his career blossom across the remaining seasons of 2014 to 2022 with us. I always assumed he would retire a Red Sox and be with us forever. However, as upset I am to see him go, you cannot, and I'm glad the Sox did not, give him an 11-year deal. At the end of that contract, he wouldn't be worth the money he's getting paid. It's great that Xander got that contract and all that money, but if you're the Red Sox, you cannot give him that contract, especially after you couldn't supposedly give Mookie a contract like that, who was younger than Bogarts. And I feel as though if they gave Bogarts a contract like that, they then say they wouldn't have the money for Devers. And personally, I'd rather take a contract like that for Devers because he's even younger. So that contract won't be as bad when he, you know, eventually gets to the end of it. But I will say this. If the Red Sox entered negotiations seriously when they first started, I don't think you get to the point where Xander gets an 11-year offer from San Diego. I think you get him to sign a six- or seven-year contract with the Sox if they took it seriously. And we might have had the best of both worlds, Xander and Devers, for the rest of their career. But instead, one's off in San Diego, and we have Devers, who I love. But I will say this, if if John Henry and Bloom, if they had lost Betts, Bogarts, and Devers, I don't think there's a single person in Boston that would have been on their side. Though, I won't lie, there were some good additions that I enjoyed in this offseason, especially Yoshida, Duvall, bringing them into the outfield mix. I think it fixes, or fixes the wrong word, I think it improves our outfield offense, and even though Trevor Story is going to be out for a while, I think when he comes back, the lineup will be even stronger, because right now you have Kiki, he's at short, you got Christian Arroyo at second, and you got Adam Duvall in center. Now the question is, like I asked Bloom down in Florida, uh, when Story comes back, does he slide into short and Kiki moves to center? Does he slot into second? Or does he slot into short and Kiki moves to second? Like, there's a lot of different combinations you can do. His response, which 
after I asked the question I expected as much was, that's too far away to even think about, which, to be fair, it is. You, you got to look at the games in April first before you start looking at July. And the way the Sox schedule is, they got to take advantage of these early games. They got to jump out and they got to come out tough on offense. I'm sorry, not tough. Got to come out strong on offense. Their pitching has to do what it has to do. Shut down these lineups and the Sox. With these first few series, they got to come out and they got to win. They can't blow them. They got to do what they did in 2021 and win the games they're supposed to win. Though, I'm not going to lie, I think it will be a little bit easier with this year's bullpen where they won't be blowing it every other game. I mean, you got Kenley Jansen now, Chris Martin, and Richard Blyer. Those are the three big bullpen pieces you brought in. On top of that, you also got John Schreiber coming back. Uh, don't ask me how, but Ryan Brazier. And then two pieces I like coming are Josh Winkowski and Zach Kelly. And as of this recording, Caleb Ort is still on the roster. Don't ask me how. I I don't have an answer. But as much as I love Caleb Ort from watching him in Worcester the past couple years, I do not know how he is, uh, as of right now, on the Red Sox roster. Now, by the time this is done recording and uploaded, something else could happen for all I know. And he could be off the 26-man roster, and we could have someone else. I know the Sox were looking for an outside player to join, but we'll see. Though one positive is the Sox lineup, it has versatility, it has good hitters. They may not have a lot of power, but these hitters, I think they'll make good contact, they'll get on base, they'll do what you gotta do, you work the counts up, you get on base, and eventually you're gonna start scoring runs. It's not always about the long ball, though even then, one constant thing is, oh, the Sox don't have many power hitters. No, we don't have 40 home run power hitters. We have Devers, who I know will reach 40 home runs eventually. But when you look at the rest, if you look at our presumed opening day lineup, I'm not going to put it in order, but you got Reese McGuire, Tristan Casas, Christian Arroyo, Devers, Kiki Hernandez, Masataka Yoshida, Adam Duvall, Alex Verdugo, and Justin Turner. Assuming all of them, not all of them are 20 home run hitters. I mean, looking at that lineup, I count Hernandez, Yoshida, Duvall, Devers, and maybe Casas. So five out of your starting nine, I think, could, could hit 20 home runs. Though, I think Verdugo, you'll get at least 15... If he's healthy the whole year, uh, Arroyo, I'm not going to lie. I'll say you get 10 if you're lucky. Reese, I'm going to guess probably about five. I'm not expecting much power from him and Turner anywhere from 10 to 15. So reality say, just doing the math real quick, you get Tristan, say 20 home runs. Reese, that's another five. You're up to 25. Arroyo is 10, 35. Devers, I'll say 30 just to be safe. I'll, I'll go on the low end. So you're up to 65. If Kiki is healthy, I say there's a chance you could get him to the 20 again. So that puts you at 85. Yoshida, I think, will give you 20. So 105. Duvall, I say if he's his 2021 self and he's healthy and he still isn't recovering from last year, I'll say 25, even though he could probably hit about 30. So, oh, one sec, I lost track. We had 25, 35, 65, 
105. 130, Verdugo's another 15, 155, uh, I mean 145, and then Turner, I'll just be safe, I'll say 10. So what is that, One, 145 home runs. Not a lot, but it's pretty good. And then you got Connor Wong, Yu Chang, Rob Refsnyder, and Raymond Tapia coming off the bench. I honestly like Wong up in the majors. I think, I think he can play up there. I think he's good, and I think... He'll show he has some power. He's good as a backup, and I think eventually he might outplay uh, McGuire as the starter. Yu Chang, versatile infielder. I like his defense, and if he plays like he did when he was the MVP of uh, Pool A during the World Baseball Classic, he'll be a great piece off the bench, but that's a big if. Though, side note, I feel so bad for his team. They played so great, he won the MVP, and they don't even qualify for the next World Baseball Classic. They have to win a qualifying tournament to get back in. Uh, Rob Snyder, I don't have much to say about him. He's a great guy, great player, hustles like anything, but I think really he's just going to be sort of uh, in the lineup against lefties and then Tapia, great guy. And by that I mean when I was in Florida, he did everything that the team asked he wanted to make this team so much and he did it even though it hurts that duran is down in worcester tapia made the team and i gotta applaud him for it he did great he went into he went into a situation where he knew it wasn't going to be easy to make the team and he did it it's just crazy now looking back at the offseason with the moves that they made you know bringing in Yoshida and Duvall for the outfield, uh, their bullpen getting stronger, and then even bringing Justin Turner in, who I loved this move, where he'll be a great clubhouse presence and a leader for the others. They're not big moves. Or they're not the big moves Sox fans expected. They wanted Bogarts, they wanted Verlander, and that didn't happen. Instead, we got stuff like Corey Kluber and Adam Duvall. Though, I love the Masataka Yoshida signing. I didn't really know who he was when they first signed him, but after seeing him in spring training in the World Baseball Classic, I think all those executives saying that the deal was bad are about to eat their own words. However, the point I'm getting at is, if we go back to 2012, when we had that awful, awful, awful Bobby Valentine-led season, we went into the offseason not knowing what to expect. You know, we traded away all those huge contracts to clear up space, but we still had some issues. And we go out, we bring in Mike Napoli, Johnny Gomes, Shane Victorino, Ryan Dempster, all these players. And at the time, it didn't seem like they were pieces that would move the needle to a World Series victory. A year later, we were celebrating a World Series. Now, I'm not going to compare this year to 2013, but... The signings are kind of similar, you know? You had Yoshida, who comes in to be that big offensive player. Well, not big offensive, but an upgrade at offense, just like how Mike Napoli was brought in to help the offense. You got a veteran pitcher, Ryan Dempster, Corey Kluber. Uh, Shane Victorino is an outfielder, which Duvall falls under as well. That one's kind of a stretch, I know, but I'm just putting it there as an example. And then there's really none that match up with Johnny Gomes. I guess the closest could be Justin Turner for his veteran leadership. Which, I won't lie, 
I, I'm, I've said it before. I'm looking forward to Justin Turner being on this team. I think he is going to be a huge contributing piece, not just offensively, but mentally and developmental-wise. I think he's really going to help these these kids. I call them kids, but most of them have been in the league for years. I mean, Raphael Devers is younger than me, but he's been in the majors since 2017. It really says just how good he was. Uh, so, on top of that, though, my main point is this 2023 squad is going to surprise us. Am I going to say they're World Series champs? No. Do I think they have a shot at the World Series? Not really. I think they'll make a push for the playoffs. And as I've said over on Twitter quite a while now, 91 wins is what I'm expecting they'll hit. I think they'll make the playoffs. I don't think they'll have enough to get over some of the other teams, though. But 91 wins. Seems nice after last year. Of course, you could also say I'm just crazy or blinded by my love for the Red Sox that I'm ignoring any flaws on the roster, which... Right now, we only have one left-handed reliever, one left-handed starter. Like I said, our offense isn't exactly filled with power hitters, but I like to think we can do this. And by we, obviously, I mean the team, because I'm not there. I'm just an armchair GM recording myself for a podcast. (laughs) But my point is, if we stay healthy and everyone plays to the potential they know they can play, I think we'll be good. But that's a big if, especially with our rotation. The rotation itself isn't too impressive from a quick look, but there's something I've always been told and that I always live by when it comes to this game. Games are not won on paper. Otherwise, you know, if it was so many teams that didn't win a World Series, you know, like the many Yankees teams that have struggled since 2009, they would have won. I mean, you look on paper, last year the Yankees probably would have won it all. I mean, they were on pace to break the American League wins record back in July, and they they just kind of collapsed because baseball isn't one on paper. Instead, it's done by the heart of the players, how much they put into it, which, yeah, I say that like they don't all try, but I mean, players who want it more are going are gonna to fight through those struggles more. And one guy who I think is going to do that is Chris Sale. I mean... He's coming off of injuries. He's only pitched 11 games since the end of the 2019 season, and nine of those were in 2021. He's angry, frustrated. He wants to show us that he's the pitcher he knows he can be, and he wants to prove he's worth that contract. So I think this year he's going to come out, and he's going to be strong. Do I think we're going to get vintage Cy Young Chris Sale? No. But I think we're going to get someone that's going to lead us down the stretch when it comes time. He's going to want to win. He wants to make it back to the playoffs. He wants to prove to everyone that he can still pitch. Whether it's for himself or for his contract, maybe both, he's going to do it. He'll get us. He'll get us when it's important. He'll get us those wins. And with it, I think Corey Kluber is going to be another key piece. He may not be the vintage Cy Young winner either, but... He's going to be a veteran presence for these younger pitchers. He's going to help them work with them, I feel. He's going to be someone that they can talk to. And with that going on, I think I think he can be a little bit of an innings eater. I mean, we need someone who can eat these innings. And, you know, I think Kluber can get you six innings a night. And if he's healthy enough, gets you 28 to 30 starts at six innings. I think he'll end up 175 
180 innings on the entire year. Now, there's going to be games where he's going to get knocked around, but I think, you know, generous. If he gives you a low four ERA, about 12 wins, I think he'll be worth more than what we got last year out of like Rich Hill or Michael Waka, both of whom are not on the team anymore for different reasons. Well, both reasons where the Sox didn't resign him, but we'll resign them, but you get the point. But I definitely think Kluber and Seal, they'll be good. On top of that, I think, you know, Tanner Houck, I'm he's the one I'm nervous the most about. I've always been on the Tanner Houck as a starter train, but at this point in time, I just, after watching him in spring training, I just don't know if he's rusty or if maybe his back is still bothering him from last year or just what it is, but he has not looked good out of the rotation. And I'm starting to question my belief that he is a starter. I think he needs a third pitch. And right now, I think he would be much more valuable in the bullpen. I mean, if you have the Hulk from last year with Jansen, Martin, Schreiber, and Blair, Blyer, I'm sorry, I, I mispronounced that, with Blyer, Schreiber, Martin, Jansen, and Hulk, that's five quality pitchers right there. You can turn a poor start by a starter, get him out by the fourth inning, and those five can shorten the game. Even if I'm someone that doesn't agree with the whole analytics of don't let pitchers face the same guy three times, I just I just think, you know, this bullpen is better. They can shorten games, especially if everyone plays how they should. Even if, say, you have Seal go six innings, you got the seventh, eighth, and ninth right there by, say, Schreiber, Martin, Jansen, and you can shorten that game. It puts pressure on the opposing team, and it shows the Sox that, uh, not just the starters, but the bullpen can help out so much more than last year. So, Helk is the mystery man, whether he stays in the rotation just one time through, two times through, or, hey, maybe he gets hot and he stays in and Crawford or Prevetta is the one that's moved when Whitlock or Bellow becomes ready. Because, I mean, here's the thing. We have eight pitchers who are being considered as starters. There's only five spots, so we're going to have some competition here. They're going to play it like they need to do. And uh, someone is getting bumped. <laughs> could it be Pavetter who has come out and said that he he sees himself as only a starter? It could, but we really don't know. Pavetta is kind of a wild card right now. Is he going to be the end of 2021 self in early 2022? Or is he going to be the second half of 2022? Because I'll say this. The way that he pitched at the end of 2021 getting Juan Soto to strike out looking and then pitching against the Rays like he did, I'll only have good things to say for him. But in 2022, it was like two different Nick Pavetters we saw. The first half, he was great. In the second half, he was awful. And that's probably the most I'll get to saying anything bad about him. But for the most part, do we know how he's going to be? Supposedly, his fastball velocity is up again this year, which is good. Because I guess last year was down. But he needs to be consistent. We need him, you know, if he can throw 180 innings for us, that's great. Because in today's analytical baseball world, that's a lot of innings for a starter. Considering most go five, six innings. Which, like I said, I understand analytics have helped so much with baseball. But if you have a pitcher that's cruising just let him go don't take him out just because analytics says don't let him face the batter for the third time unless you know like hey it's a one-run game this guy crushes him every time so let's take him out you know trust your bullpen but point being pavetta 
Helk, they're both wild cards, and either one of them could, they're not going to make or break the season for us, but they could definitely make it a lot easier. And then finally, the current starter we have is Cutter Crawford, who I think will be a dark horse. I think he'll be a quality number five starter and or a multi-inning guy out of the bullpen, depending on what Cora and the Sox decide to do for the rotation. From what Cutter did last year, I think he deserves this chance that he's getting. And even in spring training, except for his final start, he did pretty well. So I trust him to go two, three times through the rotation, and then we'll see what ends up happening after that. And then that's not even to include the pitchers who are hurt with Garrett Whitlock, James Paxton, Brian Bellow. I mean, those three, they're going to play important roles too, or at least Whitlock and Bellow. We don't know about Paxton. But Bellow, I won't lie, I think he's going to be the most promising out of all our pitchers. He'll be in Worcester for probably one, two, maybe at most three starts. And after that, he'll be back up in Boston. And I think after his work ethic last year, after the season and, you know, into the offseason and early spring training with Pedro, I think we have a star on our hands. I don't want to hype him up too much too early, but I genuinely think he's going to be our best pitcher this year. And I think he's going to be like a borderline all-star. He may not make it, but I definitely think he's going to, he's going to have a great season. He'll, he'll come out. He'll, he'll get his rehab starts in Worcester, build up his strength, especially since, you know, he's behind because he couldn't throw at the start of the uh, spring training. And then once I think he's ready, he'll come right up and he'll provide great, great starts for us. I, I think he'll be at least early on five, six inning, six innings. And I hope later on in the year he gets up to seven because the way that he pitched in September shows that there's a lot of talent in his arm. <laughs> and I look forward to seeing him pitch each and every time. As for Whitlock, I'm a little nervous of a full year starting. I mean, he's never thrown more than I believe it was 78 and a third innings in his professional career. So because of that, can his body hold up as a starter? Say he makes 25 starts, and this is me being generous, and he goes five innings each start, that's 125 innings right there. Like, can his can his shoulder and body handle 125 innings? Or might it be best for him to be split between starting and relieving? I mean, it's not good to switch back and forth, but if you get to keep his innings load down, I guess I'm trying to say, like, I trust Whitlock. He's talented, but I don't want him to break down mid-season. And then finally, you got Paxton, who, I'm not going to lie, I don't even have any predictions or thoughts of him because he was hurt last year. If he's healthy great if he's not i'm not surprised but i think personally this rotation it could be incredibly talented but incredibly injury prone as well and because of that i think all eight of these guys are going to be needed to make it through the entire year but that's like not even including the guys in worcester with brian matta brandon walter and chris murphy i think all three of them are going to be up at some point helping as well with the rotation or even just pitching out of the bullpen as for the bullpen, I'm very excited with the moves they did there. I mean, for once, we have a quality closer. Now, don't get me wrong. Helk did fine last year before getting hurt. And Matt Barnes was good in 21 until he fell off in the second half of the season. But 
we haven't had a real closer for a full season since Craig Kimbrell in 2018. Yeah, we had Brandon Workman at one point in 2019, and then 2020 was just kind of whoever. But now we have Kenley Jansen, who's been an all-star because of his skills as a closer. There'll be games where he'll blow that we'll get upset about, but I think overall he strengthens the back end of the bullpen. Chris Martin and John Schreiber working the 7th or 8th innings, you know, these two add in Jansen. The three of them, I think, can shorten games. I really like Richard Blyer. I got a chance to talk to him down in Florida at one point, and uh, I joked asking if he was ready to face off with uh, Aaron Judge again, to which he admits he, he didn't even know why Aaron Judge got upset because they used to play together, and it was just like... It was a breaking pitch that just got it too far inside and hit him on the foot. I think Aaron Judge just overreacted, and... You know, there's no need for it, but it will be, I, my point is, I just hope Blyer pitches against Aaron Judge in the first Yankees-Red Sox game, because I want to see how that goes down. Strike out Judge, hit Judge, you know, as much as I hate to say it, maybe Judge hit a home run, it would, it would be great just for the rivalry and just for baseball in general. Uh, Another key piece for this, bullpen and Josh Winkowski, he's He's got me interested. He He's made the team pretty much, you know. At this point with uh, Franchi gone, he's the best piece out of the whole Andrew Benintendi trade, which I hate. Don't get me started on that. And I think this year he'll be a good inning, two-inning guy out of the bullpen who comes in. The question is, can he get the strikeout when it's needed? Or is he going to have to rely on contact? And sometimes that doesn't work out for pitchers. I'm hoping from what I've seen in spring training, he's learned how to get that strikeout when needed, really go after it or get real soft contact. But he's a guy I'm looking forward to seeing pitch in uh, Boston again this year. And one big guy that I love being in Boston, as I told him in Florida when I saw him that I hoped I wouldn't see him in Worcester at all, not as an insult, but because I think he could help Boston, was Zach Kelly. The guy... uh, when I was in Florida, he originally saw my Woo Sox hat. And that's when I joked with him saying that I hope I wouldn't see him in Worcester at all. <laughs> and he admitted that he didn't want to be in Worcester because he wanted to be in Boston, which you can't blame the guy. Boston is much better than Worcester when it comes for his career. But I joked and I told him I don't want to see him in Worcester at all. So I'm glad he made the team out of spring training. Now, my only two questions are, why is Ryan Brazier and why are Caleb Ort? both on the roster still. Brazier, I joke all the time that he has some sort of evidence against John Henry and Bloom that uh, keeps him on the roster because he threatens to release it to the public if he gets cut, but that's obviously not true. So I don't know what, besides some sort of maybe analytical stat, which hasn't worked out in every year since 2018 for him, but Caleb Ort, I know he throws like, what, close to 100, but it's straight as an arrow. Now, I'm not a pitcher. Never was. I, the last time I pitched was when I was 12 years old in, in, what was it? Yeah, Little League. I threw, I think it was like one inning, if that. No, I'm sorry. I was I was 11 years old. I was in AAA, the league right underneath Little League, because I, uh, I didn't want to play Little League. I regret that decision, but that's a completely different story. But, um, yeah, that was the last time I pitched, so... I don't know really much about skill-wise when it comes to pitching. (laughs) 
My brother pitched. I have friends who pitched, but I wasn't a pitcher. Anyway, Caleb Ort, 100 miles per hour, but straight as an arrow. They're going to crush it every time. So I don't know what the Sox are doing. I don't think Ort's going to stay on the roster. I think he's going to get designated for assignment. I hate to say it once they find another lefty to bring in. Because I know, uh, oh, I'm going to mispronounce his name. I'm sorry. Jolly Rodriguez uh, was planned to be the second lefty, but now he's hurt. So I think they're going to have to trade or sign a lefty. Though I would have loved to see Ryan Sheriff make the team. Doesn't seem likely. So with it, though, I, I do think even with all that depth and versatility on the Sox roster right now, I do think their minors are going to their minor league players are going to be needed for like the team as the season goes on. I mean, you look at the Worcester Red Sox right now, which by the way, I love the Worcester Red Sox season tickets to the Worcester Red Sox right now. But uh point being you got in their projected starting lineup, you got Bobby Dahlbeck, Emmanuel Valdez, David Hamilton, and Jaron Duran. All four of them are on the 40 man roster. So I could see them being brought up at any point. On top of that, you got Brian Matta, Brandon Walter, and Chris Murphy all also on the 40-man roster. So, as I said before, those three, I think, at some point are going to play a huge role. Whether it's starting, relieving, or maybe one of them being traded for another piece. Likewise, you got Jorge Alfaro, who I was surprised didn't make the team, especially after his spring training. He's staying in Worcester for the time being, who... I expect to have a lot of power down in Worcester and possibly brought up to Boston at some point, especially if either uh, Reese McGuire or Connor Wong struggles. Um, Other than that, there's a few players who, if we ever open up a 40-man spot, I think could help, like Ryan Sheriff, who I've said, who I thought was going to make the team, or even uh, it's going to be interesting because he just came back from uh, Baltimore from a Rule 5 pick, A.J. Paletti, who was part of the Woo Sox no-hitter last year, so I think if he shows enough development, he might make it back up. Uh, Other than that, I don't see many players. Oh, actually, I know I mentioned David Hamilton, but one thing about him is with his speed, I think there's a chance he might be brought up at some point as like a pinch runner type deal, at least in September. Though that would have been more obvious you know if the 40-man roster still existed in september instead of making it a 28-man roster um worcester wise i'm glad to see marcus wilson is back with the team loved him was disappointed when he got cut back in 2021 though um other than that the only biggest mistake i say right now is ryan fitzgerald not making the team in boston i know i know he wasn't gonna make it but i was sold on it I had said to him that I was hoping he'd make it, and I'd said it on Twitter that he should have made the team, but I think he really needs a shot up there. We need to expand the Fitzy fan club from Worcester up to Boston. Such a great guy. He just just does everything, you know, plays defense in any position, hits. He led the Woo Sox in RBIs last year, and he's just a great presence in the community. But unfortunately, right now there's no spot for him. I'm hoping he gets a chance somewhere, but we'll see. So with that, though, I don't think the Sox are winning the East. That goes to the Yankees as much as it pains me to say. I think the Yankees, who are on pace to 
break the American League win record last year, and they never did. I think they're going to win the East. I think the baby Blue Jays, who have grown into the adult Blue Jays, are now going to take second. Third is going to be the Red Sox. Fourth is Tampa. Now, why do I have the Sox third and Tampa fourth? I think it's only going to be separated by like a game. I think that's how competitive the East is going to be. And then fifth is Baltimore, not because they're bad, but just because of how tough this division is going to be. I genuinely think the East is going to be the toughest division in baseball this year. They're they're going to have five beasts going in it, and only three are going to be able to come out because I think Seattle gets the second. I'm sorry, there's three wild cards, but I think Blue Jays, Red Sox, and Seattle are three wild card teams this year. I think division-wise, Houston wins again. I think Cleveland takes the weak central, unless there's a surprise, and Yankees take the East. NL, I'm not going to get into that just because I don't I don't really follow the NL that much. But my point being, I think we're going to be in for a fun, fun year of Red Sox baseball, and I think these guys are going to surprise us, and I think it's going to be in a good way. And with that, I hope you guys can follow along as I follow along and watch this podcast as I put episodes out, whether it's through frustration, enjoyment, sorrow, happiness, you name it, I'm probably going to have an emotion for it. Uh, I know during the season, I'll probably talk about the Woo Sox a bit more, you know, because I love going to the Woo Sox. But uh, thank you for joining this first episode. I'm sorry it's a little bit boring, (laughs) but it's just an introduction and all that. So yeah, thanks again. See you next time.